so then, so then, right? Paul loves his connecting words, and here we get, so then. Finally, we're in this new section of uh, Romans 8, uh, and I forget what the ESV calls it, but it's clearly demarcated in our ESVs, and it's demarcated, oh, it's called uh, Heirs with Christ, right? And so we finally finished Romans 1 through 11, which the ESV headlines life in the spirit. What does that mean? And so Paul, when he says, so then, he's bringing our attention back to the first 11 verses of Romans 8. Obviously, he wasn't going in writing verse 1, blah, blah, blah. But in this previous two paragraphs, what has he been talking about? What has he been uh, summarizing and that finally comes to this point, so then? Well, one is that we are no longer condemned. We are no longer condemned by the wrath of God. And for that alone, and for that fact alone, uh, we should be celebrated. We should be filled with joy, filled with encouragement. Because we are no longer condemned by our sin anymore. Nothing that we can do, nothing that we have done, and nothing that we will do will ever condemn us. Because there is, therefore, now no condemnation, an emphatic no for those who are in Christ Jesus. And what does it mean to be in Christ Jesus? Well, it means that we are free from the law of sin and death. It means that sin has no hold on us anymore, as we just sang. <coughs> death has no hold on us anymore. And because of that, because we are free from the bondage and chains of sin and death, we can set our minds on the life-giving and peace-bringing things of the Spirit. We no longer are bound to the convictions of our sinful flesh, but we are freed by the, by the gracious, life-giving, peace-bringing conviction of the Holy Spirit. And because we can do that, because now we can, uh, what we'll talk about next week, now, now we can kill sin, now we can run away from sin and run towards the things of the Spirit, now we can please God. Before, before life in the Spirit, we were condemned. And because we were in utter condemnation before God, nothing we could do could please him. We could pile on all the good deeds, all the good works, all the helping the old ladies across the street we want, but we cannot please him outside of the Spirit. But if the Spirit is in you, and if we are in the Spirit, then not only can we please God, we do please God. In the same voice that God calls out to his son, this is my son in whom I am well pleased, that same voice, that same love is for us. This is, maybe not John, but this is something, <laughs> this is my daughter in whom I am well pleased. Right? Just kidding, John, he loves you too, unless, right? Um, we can please God, we do please God. Because we belong to Christ. We belong to him. And later on, we're going to come to the climax of this chapter that says nothing, nothing will ever separate you from the love of Christ and the love of God. Right? <clears throat> In fact, I'm going to read it for you. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else, in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. 
And that is the climax to which Paul uh, is you know, heading towards, and that's why we're taking this verse by verse, because we're going one step at a time towards this magnificent truth that indeed we belong to Christ and nothing will ever take that away from us. And if all these things are true, then we are renewed in our inner being. And as Paul is writing to these Romans, and as Paul speaks to us even today, we are surrounded by trouble, just as these Romans were surrounded by trouble. And these Romans, they were very intimate with the possibility, the probability of death, of persecution. And perhaps we, living in our present day and here in America, uh, we don't quite know that as intimately as, say, uh, you know, missionaries in Iran, right? But one day, we will come face to face with our physical death, unless Jesus comes back first. But we will come face to face with that day. And Paul is saying, yes, you will die. You will experience pain. You will experience suffering. Death and all of his friends. And yet, you are renewed on the inside. Your spirit has life because the spirit is in you. And not only that, but one day Jesus will come back. And when he comes back, not only will your inner self be renewed, but your outer self. And one day our mortal bodies, our flesh, will experience the same resurrection, the same physical bodily resurrection as Jesus Christ. So then, after saying all that, so then, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. <coughs> Before I go on, let me just say these are, there are four points to today's sermon. The first is, is the definition of debt. The second is the problem with debt, or our problem with debt. The third is the freedom from debt. And the fourth is a lifestyle of debt. <clears throat> and so we come to the definition of debt, right? We are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Uh, if you look at Romans 8, from verse 1 all the way to verse 30, 39, right? This is the first and only time Paul uses this kind of language, this debtor language. It's the only time he uses the concept of this economic owing of something. He talks about, he talks in uh, legal terms, right? Verse 1 through 11, he's talked a lot about the law of death and the law of the spirit. In the verses following this, he's going to talk about adoption, right? Joining the family of God via adoption. After that, he's going to talk about joining the family of God via birth. So I'm talking about both adoption and childbirth, right? And he's using all these other metaphors, but this is the only time and the only two verses where we see the metaphor of financial debt, right? But it's there, and it's there for a reason. And it's there because... <clears throat> and many times throughout scripture and many times throughout the history of redemption the concept and definition of debt of one person owing another person something has been used to illustrate the grace of God let me read for you one of the most famous of these which is a parable that we read in book club that Tim Keller uh, wrote in three different ways 
And it goes like this in Matthew chapter 18, starting from verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had, happened, what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And so we here we have this example of of debt of 10,000 talents. One talent is a year's wages for most people. And so 10,000 years of of work is owed to this king. And this king having mercy and pity upon this servant forgives him that debt. And Jesus doesn't use the word, he doesn't use the number 10,000 in order to you know, set a, like an exact amount. What he's meaning to say is that this is an unfathomable amount of money. Uh, you know, this past, past couple of weeks, uh, you know, our boy uh, Elon Musk, he's managing to light $44 billion on, on fire because... Uh, Twitter is, I don't know, that's just, all right, if you don't know, you don't know, but whatever. Um, but, <coughs> you know, we can kind of imagine 44 billion, but Jesus is meaning, there's this unfathomable debt that has been forgiven to this servant, and yet he goes out. And 100 denarii is not something to scoff at. It is a big amount of money, but it's not 10,000 talents. And even though he has experienced a forgiveness a grace, a mercy beyond comprehension. There is no way he could have paid this back. And yet he goes to his fellow servant and demands that he give him his debt. There's one parable in the Bible. There are many more examples in the Old and New Testaments. But at the very heart of it, debt is that which is owed by one party to another. Simple enough. And we're all, most of us are very familiar with debt, maybe of the student kind. Right, familiar with the concept of a promissory note. Right, if you know, we promise that if we take this money, right, signing our life away. Right, if we take this money, we'll pay it back. You know, starting six months from graduation, we'll start pay making them monthly payments. Okay, uh, 
<coughs> Throughout history, there have been lots of different ways people have managed that. Maybe in history class, you've learned about indentured servitude, right? These are people who owed a great amount of money, and in order to pay it back, they will work for this person in a sort of semi-slavery, right, in the history of this country, indentured servitude, right? A lot like what's, what happened with the uh, building the stadiums in Qatar, but that's neither here nor there, okay? But, um, but not only are there, is there economic debt, right? Not only do people owe each other money, these days especially, there's a sense of, there's a modern, new modern conception of debt, right? That not only do people owe each other money when it comes to debt and debt forgiveness, but people owe each other all sorts of things, right? And I think first, um, first and foremost that comes into our mind is this concept of social equity, right? Racial equity, gender equity, uh, whatever it may be, right? Where we have this seemingly in, this indebtedness by these uh, overarching hegemonic the group that is in power, and they have a debt to an oppressed minority or a marginalized community. And so there's this sense of that, right? And so we've seen that over the past few years <coughs> that really come to the forefront of our culture's conversations, right? Uh, that there is a debt, maybe reparations that need to be made, right? That's the sort of language that we're hearing now. And I'm sure that all of us are very familiar with that kind of language, right? that there, there is a uh, racial disparity that needs to be paid. There is a gender disparity that needs to be paid. There is a um, sexual, there is a uh, colonial, there is a, you fill in the blank, right? And so we are very familiar with this concept of debt, and we are very familiar with the, um, with the desire and the passion to pay off those debts, especially of the social kind, right? Especially these days. We think about social justice, right? What are we trying to do? What are we meaning by that? It means that we're trying to even out the scales, balance out the scales. Um, yet, we have a problem with debt. We are familiar with the definition of debt, but we have a problem with debt. And the problem is this, that we are slaves to debt. If, you're, if you have student loans, you probably feel like you're enslaved to debt. <laughs> already, right? But we have a problem with that, which is our slavery, our bondage to debt. Uh, and, I, and I think about this in three ways. One is a bondage to debt culture. And so when we think about <coughs> when we think about uh, that's that idea of social equity, that idea of making things right between um, marginalized communities, between colonial, colonized communities, what, so, you know, what have you, there is, a, there is a debt that we must pay, not only you know, according to the culture, not only to those communities, but in the way in which we must pay that debt, right? I hope this is not too confusing. I don't want this to be a social, sociology lecture. Um, but even in, even in the way that that debt forgiveness must take place, there is a lot of disagreement, there is a lot of disparity. Um, you know, for instance, like, uh, 
I had a, if you know my former boss, Dr. Stewart, right? She has spent you know, decades uh, doing research and writing about uh, communication and feminism, right? So that's her big deal. And I disagree with her on a lot of things, but that's been her deal, right? She's, you know, um, and yet, I had a coworker who was like, you know, Dr. Stewart is not a feminist, which kind of highlights the point that I'm making, which is that uh, we are indebted not only to the fact that we need to pay this debt for, you know, somehow, some way, but in the way that we are indebted to it. And if we don't get that right, according to the culture, if we don't get it right, then you have a debt to pay too. You need to get it right. You need to think in the way that we're thinking, and you need to follow along, or you're in the wrong. I'm explaining this very, very crassly, very superficially, um, for this, because that's not really the debt that we need to worry about. We have a problem with debt, not only to a culture, but we have a debt to the flesh. We have a debt to the flesh. Our problem is our slavery to our debt to the flesh. We read in Romans 8, <coughs> right? We are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. And he's talking to those who are in the spirit. He's talking to his fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. But that means if you are not in Christ, and if you're outside of Christ, you do have a debt to the flesh. And you do have a debt to the desires of the flesh. And you do have a debt to live according to the desires of the flesh. So what does that mean? It means that we are, it means that when you are, uh, when you have a desire, right, outside of Christ, everything in you says you need to satisfy that desire. And so that is what it means to walk according to the flesh and to walk according to sinful desire. Because your, your, your flesh, your body, your soul, it says, I want that. And the sinful flesh outside of Christ says, okay, you're going to get that. So by way of example, very easy example, when we think about lust, our, our bodies are, you know, especially for young people, right? We, are, we say we look at something or we want to look at something and we say we want that, right? Uh, we want to, I'm going to let you fill in the blanks, right? But we want that and <clears throat> we think that we are not free, that we are going to be unsatisfied, that we are going to be unfulfilled until we get that thing. Right, so I say lust, but it could be all sorts of things, right? For, um, another example is like anger, right? When you are angry with someone else. When, you're, when someone wrongs you and you say, I want that person to experience a lot of pain because they have pained me. And when we uh, walk according to the flesh and when we live according to the flesh and when we are in bondage, to the flesh, what our bodies are saying is, hey, see this wrong that has been done me? They, they have a debt that they owe us. They owe us something. And what they're going to pay us back with is pain. And so I'm going to get very angry with them. I'm going to inflict pain on them. I'm going to insult them. I'm going to 
uh, do whatever. I don't know what angry people do because I'm never angry. <laughs> but <laughs> we're going to do all these things to them because they owe me. Uh, when we think of, you know, when we think of greed, when we think of, um, yeah, when we think of greed, when we think about our consumeristic culture, think of all, all the commercials and all the uh, targeted ads that come your way, right? Like, you deserve this. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm 30, so I get ads for couches. Look at this couch. You, not only do you need it and you want it, but you deserve it. You deserve this. And I'm like, yes, I do. Society has a debt that they owe me that I need this couch and I have to have this couch, right? Uh, fill in the blank with whatever targeted ad you get. Um, we have a debt to the flesh and we're enslaved to this debt that we say, if, if I don't get this, if I don't get the grade or if I don't get the job, if I don't get the girl or if I don't get the boy, if I don't get that house, if I don't get that roof fixed, uh, we, <laughs> we are unfulfilled and we're unsatisfied, right? And we convince ourselves of that. Why? Because we are enslaved to debt. <clears throat> but again, that's not even our biggest problem. Our biggest problem is not that we have a debt to this culture. Our biggest problem is not that we have a debt to the flesh and the desires of the flesh. Our biggest problem is that we have a debt that is owed to a holy God. And because we are God's creation and yet we chase after the desires of the flesh, we owe God those 10,000 talents. We owe God an unfathomable amount of holiness and glory and yet we cannot pay this back. That is our biggest problem. That we owe God our lives and more. And we can't even give that to him. But we have a freedom from debt. We have a freedom to, from debt. As Paul boldly says... We are debtors, but not to the flesh. We are debtors, not to the flesh. <clears throat> to live according to the flesh. How is that so? And we go back all the way to the beginning. We go back to the so then. We go back to what Paul references with his so then. We are not debtors to the flesh. We are not debtors to sin, and we don't have any debt before God anymore. Why? Because there is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Outside of Christ, outside of the Spirit, we think we owe the world, and we think the world owes us. And we think we owe our, our, our desires, and we think we owe uh, we think our desires owe us, right? We need to have our desires fulfilled in these ways, in the ways that I think they should be filled. But before, when we are in Christ, we come to know that it is not the world that owes us anything. It is not the flesh that owes me anything. It's not God who owes me anything. But it's me that owes God everything. And yet... There is no condemnation for me, even though I owe him 10,000 talents. Why? Because Jesus paid it all. 
And so, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he has washed it white as snow. <coughs> we are debtors, not to the flesh, but to Christ, who did not have to do anything for us, who did not have to die on behalf of us, but he has, and he did. And because he has done that, all the debt that we owe is lifted from us and it has been placed on his shoulders. And so we do not need to fear debt anymore. And moreover, we do not need to be enslaved and we are not enslaved to debt any longer. But we are still debtors. We are still debtors to the unfathomable grace of Christ. Think about that servant who had his 10,000 talents forgiven. Why was the master so angry with him? Because, uh, why was the master so angry with him? Because having been forgiven this debt, this unfathomable, like this amount of debt for this king, going back to the parable, would have like destabilized his kingdom. Like that's, that's how much money we're talking about. And yet he did it. And yet this servant goes and treats his fellow servant as if he owes him something. As if, <clears throat> as if he has not come to know what mercy and forgiveness and grace feels like. This, man, this servant was about to have his entire family thrown in jail, and that was forgiven. And yet, he throws his fellow man in jail. And so, we, we too, having known a debt that frees us from the debt of the world and the debt of the flesh and even our debt to God, would we not also live as those who know that we have been forgiven our debts? And that is why we pray in that Lord's Prayer. Because sometimes we forget. But we pray to God, forgive us our debts as you have already forgiven our debts so that we can forgive our debtors. So then, we are no longer condemned. We are free from the law of sin and death, and we are freed from our debt before this world and before our God. And so our big problem with that has been lifted, and we are free. We are free from our, free from our debt, and yet, at the same time, eternally indebted to Christ who has saved us. Let's pray. Uh, at this time, why don't we spend a few moments in our own hearts, bring our prayers before God. Is there something in, our, in your life you feel like you've been wronged or you feel like you, like something or someone owes you something, right? So that someone or something is indebted to you. Maybe someone has made you, made you really angry this week and they owe you. Maybe, maybe you've, uh, you've fallen to another bout of lust and pornography this week. Maybe you are filled with pride 
thinking that the world owes you your recognition and your reputation. Let's bring these things before the Lord in repentance and ask God, Lord, how could I how could I indebt someone else when you have forgiven me all of my debt through your son, Jesus Christ? And let's thank him for the grace that he has given us through his son, that indeed we are no longer in debt. And yet at the same time, we owe everything to him.